Welcome to episode 13 of the Cincy Postcast, and boy, do we have an episode for you. In part one, we're breaking down the Chicago Fire FC Cincinnati match, in which FC Cincinnati won two to one. In part two, we've got Joe Lowry. Joe has written for The Athletic, MLSsoccer.com. He now has a new website, Backheeled. He's on the Total Soccer Show, which I know many of you listen to. A great conversation with that guy. And then in part three, uh, we talk a little bit of the uh, MLS roster uh, dump, the salary dump that happened from the Players Union this week. Uh, Touch on a little bit of the uh, two teams' signings. And we'll talk about that failed Ohio Cup tournament. And that'll be your postcast. Oh, and joining me to discuss all of that and maybe less. Let's see what I cut out of the intro. Uh, two of the regular contributors to The Post and, of course, The Postcast. Uh, we have Grayson Chalmers with us tonight. Grayson, the salary dump happened. I don't want to touch on it in part one, but this is like Christmas Day for you, isn't it? Yeah, speaking of Christmas, when it rains, it pours. Um, we have our first sponsor. Oh, oh, um, what? What we're getting so paid I have a, for this? Yeah, I got a, I got a, I got an ad read. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Uh, do you ever make a mistake and just want to bury your head in the ground? Do you have nightmares that someone will come to your home and take things from you against your will? Do you see a tiny man yelling at you in Spanish and you know it's bad, even though you can't understand it? Is this a Ted Cruz campaign commercial? If so, then you may be experiencing the effects of Lucho Acosta. <laughs> But there is hope. Quit. Just quit your job. Become a mailman. This message was brought to you by the U.S. Postal Service. The U.S. Postal Service. Quit. Deliver mail. <laughs> on the plus side, based on what I've seen in the news recently, you can steal all the credit card numbers you can take if you're working for the Postal Service. So it could be financially lucrative in many ways. The fringe benefits are uh, just off the charts there. Uh- and then, of course, we have the Chief Warpig himself. Chief, uh, FCC is winning. The memes are starting to roll in online. What's what's the vibe on the internet these days for the Chief? Uh, the vibe on the internet is that we've long since speculated that our fan base would become fucking insufferable if we ever got good. And <laughs> turns out we were right. So... <laughs> Also, I, I, I was told online that I may have overused a certain word last week during the podcast in my zeal to show off in front of the Detroit City fans about a word they can't use. So I'm promising that last one excluded. We're going to try and be a little more kid-friendly this episode for the Chiefs, so we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> this is probably a decent time to bring up that uh, my parents drove down to Florida this past week and uh, decided for some unknown reason to listen to the the podcast and uh they they said it was very good they liked it they didn't quite understand what was going on uh but that they wished that one young man would clean up his mouth and, um, <laughs> that was you <laughs> Ope. 
My, my parents so, have no idea this podcast exists. Yeah, same. <laughs> We're going to keep it that way. Probably, probably for the best. Um, no, last week we, we dropped a podcast immediately after a 5-1 loss. The uh, the listeners and the downloads uh, made that abundantly clear that that was posted <laughs> after a loss. So, hey, we get to talk about a win this week, and it was a 2-1 to win over the Chicago Fire in a game that – by any measure, FC Cincinnati was not the better side in other than the score sheet. And that's really the only measure that matters. But uh, Grayson, how did it feel to get a win when we probably didn't deserve one? Yeah, I feel as bad about that as as, as the other teams felt when they were stealing wins like that over us the last three years. <laughs> so I was about to say, you don't, look, you don't look like you feel bad about this. Just, you know, judging the vibe here. No, I feel great about it. Four wins in a row. We're working on five this week. I also want to push back on this narrative a little bit that we didn't deserve the win. Um, A, you always deserve the win when you have the score sheet in your favor at the end of the match. It's kind of like when somebody says the better team didn't win today. No, the game has rules, and the rules set up a condition (laughs) whereby you win the game. The better team is always the one that wins the game. So I apologize. But it's us. I apologize for absolutely nothing. No, and it's not us. We're going to talk progress. We're going to talk all no, sorts no, no. of happy nonsense. DC did not deserve to beat us. Montreal, no, Montreal did not deserve to beat us. LAFC did not deserve to beat us. The better team didn't win in those cases. But but this is Fair. different because it's us and I'm a hypocrite. And, yeah, the better team won. But also, this is the Pat Noonan system. Yes, it is. The Pat Noonan system encourages, yeah, the other team's going to have the ball a lot more. And, you know, maybe the Pat Noonan system doesn't want us to give as many set pieces away as we did when it seemed like every time down the field we were giving up a corner kick. But, you know, we pressured them into those mistakes. That second goal, that was all Brandon Vasquez hustling, breaking a play up, um, not conceding that they were going to be able to move the ball around in their final in their back third. He forces a bad turnover. Lucho, two good touches and capitalizes. That's, I, I, I don't. I, I reject the idea that all mistakes are unforced errors. Unforced errors are, are is a tennis thing. In this case, it's a team game. They play defense. We challenged them in a lot of spots, and we created goals by capitalizing on their mistakes. That's That doesn't mean that, that they lost the game. We forced them to lose the game. Right, right. And this is a game that in my mind was just calling out for Brenner. Brenner's ability to press keepers and press defenders. I mean, this was the game that he could have embarrassed some people. I mean, we saw the the classic, instant classic photo of Lucho celebrating over the poor Chicago Fire defender. Um, Man, I I really wish Brenner could have had a crack at threatening a 17-year-old goalkeeper, uh, (laughs) (laughs) just harassing him. (laughs) I'm imagining in my mind, it looks like the uh, the handful of times that Ronaldinho managed to like kick the ball out of a goalkeeper's hand and score a goal and things like that. That's what in my mind Brenner did this game and he played. So all, all I'm <laughs> hearing from that, all I'm taking away from that is that Kevin Wallace is advocating that more 17 year olds should be abused by adults. So I don't know. I, that wasn't me saying that. That was Kevin saying that. Um, that's certainly a take you can yeah, have. Man. Not a good look. I know, right? Not well, a good oh, come look, on. man. From a, from a wow. man that's a foster father, I don't know how I feel man, about this. Do how old is 17, really? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> We're starting to sound like a different uh, podcast here. <laughs> um, in fairness, in fairness, 
That's that's a reference to a classic Dave Chappelle bit that you should definitely look up. Um, canceled. So so I want to point out something about the, I want to point something out about the own goal, like because I've always been process based on this podcast, and by process that was a beautiful pass by Barrial that Brandon Vasquez gets one touch on settles and scores right. Mm. He happened to miss the ball. And the outcome was the same. But, like, that was, by process, a beautifully executed play. <laughs> I mean, That's a good yeah, point. In, that, in that one instance, it was beautifully executed. But, I mean, how, how badly were we due this kind of a game? Where how many games have we sat through where it's us with the donkey-footed touch or it's one of our uh, backline players passing to no one in the dead center of the field the ball takes two more passes and it's in the back of the net. This was the receipts were so beyond due for us to get a game like this where we were we all right. So I'll concede the idea that maybe we weren't the better team. I'll concede that's an argument you could make if you're an idiot, but we were certainly <laughs> the more talented of the two teams. And at the end of the day, talent wins out in most cases in professional sports. For every one plucky underdog story, there's a thousand instances of the more talented team going in there and handling their business. And and talent all over the field won out in this game, and we won the game. It's it's there's if you're waking up and you're apologizing for how the FC won and how they gained three points, just just knock it off. You've suffered. Yeah. An, I am giving you permission right here. On the postcast, I am giving you permission to be happy and stop apologizing for us being successful. It's okay. The feeling of happiness you have, that feeling of like euphoria and joy that's usually reserved for watching the Bengals over the last like calendar year, it's okay to have that for FC Cincinnati. It's fine. It's not. <laughs> I promise you that no one is going to come in the middle of the night and take this away from you. It's fun. Enjoy it. You oh. know, if um, if Chicago was in Cincinnati, if that was a Cincinnati fire, they would be getting murdered in the media for like how they've spent money, for how their team has been run. They have yes. they have a foreign GM. They have they have had foreign coaches until recently. Right now it's it's you know, they do have a first, they have base they have like kind of a Pat Noonan right now as head coach, but they don't have a Chris Albright picking the players. Yep. Um, I read a fawning fawning article in the athletic over joe mansueto the fire's owner and about like how ambitious he is and all that stuff they spent 1.3 million dollars in salary on the center back that headed that ball into the goal (laughs) they spent 8.5 million dollars on zardin shakiri he's the highest paid player in the league if you had to guess which player on that field was the highest paid player in the league, would it be Shakiri or would it be the guy that took the ball off him in like the 80th minute or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I couldn't agree more. For the longest time, the Chicago Fire and FC Cincinnati had identical resumes. And they had a, a, like you said, an international GM. I believe he's Swiss, which might explain why Shakiri was the guy that they targeted. Um, 
And they were doing the exact same things. They were spending a ton of money in the wrong ways, using the MLS funny money in the wrong ways, and getting terrible results. I mean, the only thing that has made Chicago not look bad the last few years is FC Cincinnati. If we're not there, they're in the wooden spoon race the entire time. They probably don't get a chance to get wins off of us and are probably in that wooden spoon race if we aren't there. I think he is Swiss. I think that I think the team president or the chief soccer yeah. officer or whoever is Swiss because he like made the owner buy a team in Switzerland. Yes. Yes. Um, I forgot which, about that. Which I guess the I I guess the idea is that they are gonna be able to use that team to funnel you know, like bad contracts back to the Swiss team or maybe acquire players in Europe and then move them from the Swiss team to Chicago. But so what I'm hearing what, seen any what I'm hearing is that I should be I should be hacked off by the fact that Nykamp ruined the roster, literally set this franchise back uh, years, but out of all this he didn't convince Carl Linder to buy a team over in the Netherlands so that we could offload Alan Cruz or offload Kenneth Vermeer, who it turns out isn't making a lot of money, so I guess i got to revise my hatred in that then. <laughs> but that we didn't at least, we, you know, we didn't get the free T-shirt out of this. We didn't even get the second division Netherlands side. If we could have done something that would have set the team up for long-term success, because it's so hard to game the system in MLS. They, they kind of destroy any avenue you have to screw around with the salary rules like you can in the NFL and the NBA. But at the very least, if we would have bought a team over there at, Night camps urging. We would have had some place to send all these, these bad contracts that he signed, <laughs> like the go I mean, the go forward Eagles or something or whatever they're called. Oh right. no, my my pick would be the VVV Venlo or whatever. <laughs> I don't know if somebody else owns them, but that name is just perfect. That's where I, uh, uh, Gideon's LLM played, I think. I, I, yeah, I would pay, they. I would, play, uh, I would pay so much money of, to hear. I would pay so much money to hear Tommy G attempt to say repeatedly. That the player had been sold to VVV, what, what the hell is it called? VVV Venlo. I think it's Va Va Va. I think it's Va 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 Venlo. Va 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 Venlo. Va 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 Venlo. Oh man. Va 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 Va. Well, as we recently discovered, shockingly easy to buy lower division European teams. Have we told that story on the podcast that like you were just fishing? That you got bored and decided to see how hard it would be to buy a lower league club, and within like 24 hours, you had five people emailing you back asking if you were interested and what the budget of your prospective buyer would have been for several clubs over in Europe. <laughs> like, it was shockingly easy to get these people's attention. This yeah. should definitely be a topic of a future episode. Where we like pitch, <laughs> we like Shark Tank pitch uh, random foreign teams for uh, Carl to buy to stash like shitty contracts. <laughs> the hell with that. You should go back into the email box and get one of these people that was trying to sell you the club on the podcast. Like, no, I don't have a million dollar American, a millionaire American to buy this team. But would you please come on and talk to me about why it was so easy for you to try and sell me this? <laughs> I had gotten to the point where we were setting up meetings, and then I chickened out. So I was, yeah. I was willing to see how far I pushed it. Um, Kevin, like so many people on America Online back in the day, chickened out at the prospect of an IRL meeting. Yeah, he's not city council material. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Pastor in shambles. I. 
I think if I could, if if and when I do it again, I wouldn't start off by saying I represent a potential buyer because I feel like that's enough to possibly misconstrue who I am. I need to say that I'm interested and then just let them think I am fabulously wealthy. I am interested in learning more about acquiring a team. Yes. See, now I have in my mind the way this would have worked out is you would have agreed to meet this person to talk about buying a team, and it just would have been Chris Hansen from Dateline. He would have asked you to take a seat. What do you think you were coming here for tonight, Kevin? I see you brought a supporter's scarf with you. Who's that for? (laughs) What's that growler for? Did you have big plans tonight? (laughs) I'm going to read you back the chat log. I represent a very wealthy American with millions of dollars to spend. You don't have millions of dollars to spend, do you, Kevin? Who are you talking that? To? Who are you telling that to? Oh well, hey, if the Premier League has taught me anything, it could be like a leverage purchase where I just put the purchase of my club as debt onto the club, and then in like four years we split and uh, they dissolve, and I'm I get away scot free. That feels like the uh, the way to go about owning a soccer team these days. Or, so. or you keep owning the team, and the fan base that you have bought the team from accuse you of caring too much about Tom Brady and not your actual team, and a once proud, <laughs> a once storied fran- a club in the uh, English Premier League now burns you in effigy. <laughs> I, really, the missing piece here is the postcast needs to cozy up to a brutal dictatorship somewhere so that they can help us sponsor this team. That's, Other that's than the, the United States of America. Well, you know. I mean, just, wa- just watch John Oliver long enough. I'm sure we'll get some ideas as to who we can contact for that. <laughs> so, so, speaking of the Chicago Fire game. Oh, right. So, I got a question for you guys, but I'm going to start it with a headline. <laughs> Uh, This is from the uh, uh, Chicago Tribune. Uh, Tubby thumping. Zerdan Shakiri, Chicago's chubby wonder, gets knocked down, but doesn't get get back up again, pissing the night away, calling for a penalty. Um, (laughs) Wow. Was was Zerdan Shakiri fouled in the box there? What do we think? Nick Haglin can do no wrong right now. Nick Haglund is my lord and savior. Nick Haglund, he literally died in years one and two and three for FCC's sins. And so, no, no, that wasn't a foul for me. Um, and again, that's that. If we're gonna get real for a second, it's like, yeah, that was part of the charm of this game is that we capitalized on mistakes and the brutal beat that we usually get of they look at some play from fifteen different replay angles at one one thousandth speed and decide to award a a penalty in the dying minutes of a game that denies us a win or denies us a point that didn't go our, that went that didn't go the wrong way either so it was just our kind of night on that one but no i mean that's 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 the kind of penalty that when they call it you just look at it and you're like all right then what are these they're watching a different game than i am because yeah that's soccer it's a contact sport also i just want to point out too that if you're going to make a joke about Shakiri and music i'm i'm shocked we didn't go with his, did his hips lie like that seems like that would be the play there. That's the easiest play. Sometimes <laughs> that's the, the low. That's, ha- that's the easiest play. You know why? So, the low four, hanging fruit is sometimes four the best fruit. Four Chumba jokes in that. <laughs> I fit four Chumba Wumba jokes in that. <laughs> Only so two of them were about his weight. <laughs> Zerdan Shakiri looks like a thumb. 
He looks like you put you fit two Lucho Acostas into one Lucho Acosta. Or like a Muppet Man, like two Luchos riding on each other's shoulders trying to get into an R-rated movie. Yes. No, 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 no. You stretched one Lucho Acosta skin over oh, the no. body mass of two of them. He's not taller. He's, he's the same size. Twice the the girth. <laughs> In the uh, in the olden days of the internet, I think one of the first viral videos on YouTube was the uh, the guy who put on 150 t-shirts, and that that is Shakiri, the guy just putting on t-shirt after t-shirt after t-shirt. It takes um, him forever to no, sub I into have... a match. <laughs> yes, yes, he's pulling shirts off. off one, two. The ultimate time wasting <laughs> move. <laughs> <laughs> I know on this podcast, this is a uh, controversial take, but. As I see referee decisions, they are I, – I feel like complaining about or debating referee decisions is like debating the chalk lines on the field. Like they are, uh, as far as the game is concerned, a piece of equipment. And was it a penalty or not is determined by the referee. So we, we have no reason to debate whether or not this was a penalty or not because the, the truth has already been decided for us. To argue against this truth is to argue against reality. And so that is that is my opinion on referees. They're, they have all of that power, and we need to respect all of that power. And um, that's why I'm going to vote referee this fall. So I think there should be non-shooting and shooting fouls. Ooh. Well, I've long been like a proponent that. that, like, when there's a foul in the box, A, the person who gets fouled should have to take it, and B, it should be a direct free kick at the goal from wherever the spot is. You shouldn't move it to the penalty spot. It should be wherever, just that you can't put a wall in front of it from wherever it is in the box. But if the angle is I bad, do like, then... Yeah. I like the second part of the rule. The problem with the first part is it actually encourages you to crush people if you're going to foul them. I because like that. Because if they're the though. one that has to incredible. take the kick, you just got to destroy their ankle so that they, yeah. they have a weak shot. Yeah. Go after them. Get, get your money's worth if you're going to commit a penalty. Why not? I can get behind it. I can get behind it. <laughs> I, do, I do think the penalty is like way too much of an advantage. And yeah. a lot of the time, like the person was not like, that close to creating a chance to score. So well, that's I'm not why, like, sure they deserve like 0.7 expected goals. Well, that's why Reuter said when we interviewed him, it's like bring back the running PK from MLS 1.0, yeah, where at least like it levels the playing field a little bit. I'd love that. I wonder if yeah. our guest has any thoughts about that. Ooh. Yes. Uh, perfect transition there, Grayson. You should do this professionally. Um, I do it negative professionally. <laughs> he just thinks we Grayson is a big proponent of the fact that we talk too much on these episodes, so he's trying to move us along this week. <laughs> I don't I don't mind it. Uh no, but uh we do have a guest this week. It is Joe Lowry. Joe is a super interesting guy, young guy, but covering all of American soccer. Uh just this week had some really nice things to say about Brandon Vasquez making the US men's national team. So uh Maybe we can get him to say some more nice things about FC Cincinnati on here. Uh, Stay tuned for uh, part two, and we'll catch you on part three. (laughs) 
We are now part two of the postcast. We are joined by a very special, a very lovely guest, Joe Lowry. You've heard his beautiful voice on the Total Soccer Show. You can now read his beautiful words on the Backheeled, a new website covering American soccer. Joe, thanks for joining us on the postcast. Of course. I am so excited to be here to talk about anything and everything in Cincinnati, especially. You guys are having quite the season so far. <laughs> yeah, I know. We don't know what to do with our hands. It's it's a new and exciting feeling. People are happy about soccer. I don't I don't know. Are we supposed to be happy? Are we? Is, I don't, is that what you're supposed to do? When you I win? don't think so, but I, maybe okay. you guys should try it and see what happens. Beats me, to be honest. <laughs> All right. Our brand is misery, so this is really, really screwing our vibe up. <laughs> Yes, we 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 were uh, particularly negative about the uh, the previous administration here uh, at FCC. But uh, no, Joe, I got to ask you a a, a non FCC question to start us off. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't mean to to hit you with a gotcha right away, but why aren't you a Phoenix Rising fan? <laughs> I I mean I I kind of am. I, I kind of am, and I'm, I'm kind of not. So I am. I'm based in Phoenix. Uh, I spent some time covering Phoenix Rising, which is kind of the reason why I put the fandom away. As a, a native Phoenician and somebody who's, who's lived in Arizona my whole life and still live here now, I was so excited to see Phoenix Rising rebrand from Arizona United, which was kind of just tucked away into the, the real bottom drawer, maybe not even in a drawer, maybe somewhere deep in the basement of Arizona sports. And, and to have Phoenix Rising and new ownership come in and, and DDA Drogba being a part of that, of course, but I think even it's, it's lived on well beyond him, absolutely. Having a, a legitimate team that people care about and, and that the ownership cares about and has and has put resources into has been great. And so, I, I, I mean, I cheered for Phoenix Rising. We're going to be talking a, a tiny bit about that on the Total Soccer Show tomorrow. At least I'm going to be shoehorning in a, a reference. Um, <laughs> but I, I have basically tucked that fandom away. It's, it's rejuvenated a little bit now. I spent a full season covering the team in person, going to all the home games, covering you know weekly recaps and midweek pieces. And so I, I kind of stowed it for that season, and it's slowly coming back. I don't have as much time to watch uh, to watch as I'd like to. There have been some struggles this season, but I, I, I'm a big fan of a lot of the people there um, and, and the team, of course, as well. How's Ben uh, Lunt? So like a fan, How's Ben Lunt doing? <laughs> uh, ben Lunt? Solid. He's actually yeah. – he's a really – when you see him in person, he's a tall dude. Holy cow. You already know he's tall, but he is like the, the tallest and lankiest – dude i have seen in quite some time but no I, I think he's gelled fairly well here in phoenix a fan base being rejuvenated that's kind of on brand for the city of phoenix when you think about it right yeah abs- absolutely i mean <laughs> the suns let's not talk about the suns but other than that yeah i mean we're get, we're, oh, we're yeah. improving i, I we're wasn't improving. gonna talk about the suns but <laughs> no, not great ben lunt occupies a, a funny spot in fcc world because he as FC Cincinnati was just having goalkeeper issue after goalkeeper issue, he was just consistently winning awards in USL. And it always <laughs> felt like, oh, the solution is right here. And no matter what happened, that dude was never getting any playing time. His his time in Cincinnati finally wrapped when he was like clapping back at local reporters. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a sad ending, but uh, he'll always be that mythical what if here in Cincinnati. So glad he's doing doing. Well in Phoenix, <laughs> that feels about right. But if you if you have problems with your goalkeeping, just give us a call. We'd be happy to send you Kenneth Vermeer at a low low discount <laughs> price, and you can replace Ben Lunt with him anytime you want. <laughs> it's a generous offer. It's really a generous offer. <laughs> 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 Make him an offer he has to refuse. <laughs> so, Joe, you, you you talked about 
covering Phoenix. Was that how you got into soccer journalism and, and covering the sport, or, or were you doing it before then? Yeah, so I, I started covering soccer a little bit before then, a year or two or maybe even three before then, right around uh, the 2018 World Cup, maybe 2017 into 2018. That's kind of when I started uh, covering soccer, and it, it really started with just tweets. And I, I would mm. tweet out right around the World Cup. The U.S. didn't make it, obviously, as we all know. And that was a big blow to pretty much everybody in soccer media. I, I wasn't in soccer media at that time, but as someone who cared about the game, it, it sucked, right? And so yeah. I didn't really know I had plans for maybe some things I was going to do on my own to cover the team uh, at the World Cup, not in person in Russia, but from my living room. And that didn't happen. And so I still decided, well, I want to do something. I want to learn more about the game because I, I was still trying to get a brighter grasp of how I wanted to cover soccer. And so I started making short, I guess, 200, two minute and 20 second, I think is the Twitter video limit, videos, uh, and to post them on Twitter, analyzing different World Cup games. And so I had uh, one, the one I, the only one I remember was about uh, Mexico and Germany. And mm. I think it was Carlos Vela man marking Tony Kroos, or I don't remember what the title was of that video, but I, I pulled out a few clips and marked it up a little bit and tweeted it. And the Total Soccer Show folks, Taylor and Daryl at that time, talked about it on their show. And, and that was a really cool moment for me as a big fan of that, that podcast. It was kind of a, a huge thing where I was literally in my bathroom listening to the podcast. And all of a sudden, I, I hear them reference my name. And I was shocked. <laughs> and so a few days after that, George Krejci, who uh, – you're getting the whole story here. I'll try to speed things up a little Good. bit. Good. No, please. I love this. <laughs> okay. So George Krejci, who was then the editor of The Athletic Soccer, the managing editor – uh, just I didn't have my DMs open on Twitter. I don't even think I knew how to do that at the time. Um, but he just tweeted me on, on his timeline and said, hey, Joe, can you send me your email? I'd like to get in touch with you. And so I did, and I was really excited about that. And so I started freelancing a little bit for The Athletic during the World Cup and analyzing some games. And I kind of just never stopped. I think my, my freelance contract was supposed to expire in July, sort of after the end of the World Cup. And I just kind of kept pitching, and George just kind of kept letting me write and teaching me how to write better. And so fast forward to now, I still freelance for The Athletic a little bit, um, doing some stuff with MLSsoccer.com and, and TSS, of course, being able to contribute to that show on a almost daily basis is a huge, huge blessing. It's such a blast to be able to do that with those guys. Um, and now writing a little bit for, for Backyield, which has been awesome as well in its infancy. So do you think that in a strange sort of way, the U.S. not making the World Cup offered you some additional opportunities? Because, I mean, when the U.S. is involved – it gets noisy on the American yeah. soccer Twitter timeline. And when the U.S. not involved, it may have opened the door maybe for some other voices who were willing to watch games that Americans weren't a part of to you know, maybe have some opportunities to be seen with the content you were creating. Absolutely. I mean, it's a really, really good point. If the U.S. is in that World Cup, I don't think necessarily George is scouring Twitter to look for people to, to write about. I think the first game I wrote about was Poland playing. I don't know what it was, but that's not a game <laughs> that a lot of folks would, would really care about. right? I mean, of course, it's the World Cup, and so we, we're all excited about a lot of different games, but it's not the same. And I think the interest level right. would have been different, and the scope of certainly the athletics coverage would have been a lot different at that time. Now, the, the whole model for them, as far as who they were employing, and the, the staff changed completely uh, as time went on. But even then, with mostly freelancers involved, I think it would have been different. So that's a, a really good point. So why were you interested in getting into that in the first place? Like, do you have a do you have a soccer playing background or were a you bad a, one? A journalism? Uh, were you like a journalism major or something? Yeah. So I uh, the answer is I'm a bad soccer player. <laughs> I was uh, growing up and, and still am today. Not not good, but uh, I always <laughs> loved 
playing the sport growing up. It was fun. It was something I enjoyed doing with friends. And so that was, that certainly was a part of my upbringing, not like the primary sport I played growing up, but that was a part of it. Really the the part that got me is the strategic side of soccer. And Mm -hmm. that's what drew me to a bunch of other sports. I enjoy watching American football and basketball and occasionally baseball if I have the time, but really basketball and, and football those are big for me, for me because I love the, the strategy, right? Learning about different types of defenses and learning about play calling and those kinds of things. And soccer doesn't really have direct play calling or anything like that. But there is a very clear tactical side of the game that I think was a big part of, of why I wanted to learn more about the sport. And I, I still feel like I'm learning more and more about it all the time. When you have 11 players on the field, uh, on each side of the field, that are reacting and influencing each other in different ways there's limitless possibilities for how games can look and you're probably not going to watch the same game play out in the same way two times right it's just not going to happen so that was big for me in addition to just seeing a real lack of tactical analysis there's a few folks doing it at the time and, and there's a lot more doing it now and they're probably more doing it then than i realized back i guess five years ago or so but there wasn't a ton of mainstream tactical coverage, right? You had Michael Cox doing stuff uh, for a lot of the European game, and you have some really great MLS folks. Matt Doyle, I think, does – he's so good at pretty much everything he does. I know he angers a lot of people with, with some of his tweeting policies. <laughs> it's, part of the, it's part of the bit, us, right? Us included. Bit. He, <laughs> is, he is brilliant at what he does. He is brilliant at, at so many of those things. And Doyle and, and Bobby Warshaw for MLS when he was working for the league – Listening to those people and, and reading their work kind of influenced me and, and made me realize, hey, that's like two people doing this on the American side. Why not have more people cover soccer this way? It's something I like to do. There's a there's room for it. And I think sort of seen that take place over the last three, four, five years. So oh. you referenced being an American football fan, and I, I love American football. It's you know what I grew up watching before I fell in love with soccer as well. And when you watch American football, they take great pains during broadcasts and then pregame shows to explain tactics to the average fan. Um, I remember growing up watching John Madden yeah. on the Telestrator, breaking plays down, and it feels like anyone that watches an NFL game for any number of years, you'll be able to pick up what a 4-3 defense, a 3-4 defense is, various offensive concepts. Why, why do you think tactical analysis didn't make its way to the American soccer broadcast the way it did in the NFL and other sports? Because you watch an MLS game or even a USL game, and the announcers and the pregame coverage rarely attempt to break tactics yeah. down and educate the viewer about tactics. Why do you think that is? Yeah, and it's it's not even just American soccer. I think this is an example of American soccer sort of copying a lot of European broadcasts who generally don't do a lot of that stuff either. You get some really good studio coverage, and I think uh, Sky Sports does a pretty good job of this. I don't watch a ton of their stuff, but they have some pundits in studio that, that will go to the board and will bring some stats in and will break things down, and it's great. We don't really have that in the U.S., but I think we did – copy a lot of the the actual in-game analysis or lack thereof from a lot of those European games. And I think a big, big reason for that is in American football, to use that, that comparison, there's a stop every 12 seconds, right? Every eight seconds. You have a chance to look at, uh, look at the game while it's paused and say, yeah, they are in a 4-3 defense. Yeah, they are in cover two. Yeah, they are playing this or they are playing that. This is the play they were laying last time. And you have Tony Romo telling you everything that's happening before it happens, right? We don't really get that in soccer because you don't have those stoppages. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't room for that coverage. I'm a strong believer that there is. And then if you start doing some of that stuff, even the most basic stuff, and I think I think Taylor Twellman does a, a decent job of this with ESPN. He knows a lot more about soccer than I do. Uh, I think he 
does a good job of, of of intertwining some of those tactical insights that he he knows and has experienced into his commentary, into his analysis live with John Champion on ESPN. But there's room for so much more, and I am really excited for some of the MLS folks that that I know in the commentary word, world. Jordan Andrew, Jordan Angeli, excuse me, for the Columbus Crew. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say the Columbus Crew on this podcast, but it happened anyway. <laughs> You're uh, not. She, no, but she, <laughs> you did it already. She does a great we'll job for the crew breaking down some plays and there's others as well, but there's room for way more. And I'm, I'm really excited for when that day comes. So I actually first, I think, uh, heard of you when you were doing those like MLS assist podcasts with, uh, with Jordan, did you have an MLS background before you, do you have like an MLS team that you rooted for before you got into soccer journalism? Not really. Being being an Arizona guy is a weird thing. We don't love to root for California teams. They're probably the closest geographically. They don't feel any connection to Colorado or, or really to Texas or any of the other Utah. Right, none of the teams around make a ton of sense. So, just kind of enjoyed watching Phoenix Rising and, and just observing MLS as a neutral, uh, watching new expansion teams come in and trying to pick up you know which teams were enjoyable to watch from a playing style standpoint which teams were interesting because they were really bad or really good for a weird reason, which players were compelling. I sort of just picked up the game as a, as a neutral and, uh, and went from there. So no real MLS fandom background, but, but really a love for American soccer and for the league and a desire to tell more of the – or to share really more of the tactical side of the game. And, and Jordan happened to share that desire. And so we were able to, to, I think, have a really fun time, the two of us, doing that show. And, and it, it seems like from the response we got at times, there were some folks, out, some folks out there that enjoyed it as well. Oh, for sure. No, and I – I can totally sympathize with that. Being in Cincinnati, uh, everybody always thinks of Cincinnati as an Ohio team if you're not from here. But Cincinnati doesn't usually identify with Ohio, not strongly anyway. And so you didn't see a whole lot of people in Cincinnati like rooting for Columbus, even though they've been there literally the longest. Um, and yeah, for a lot of us, it took FC Cincinnati showing up in USL to like really dive into domestic soccer. Yeah. Um, so totally empathize there. So just to, to marry these two worlds, this USL MLS world, um, and and I know you don't get to watch a whole lot of USL today, but when you were watching USL, what do you see tactically as being two large differences, or, or a, a large difference between USL and MLS tactically? Um, obviously, the talent level is different, but is there a difference there between those two leagues? I think you see in USL, and, and maybe this is changing slowly. I think there's certain teams and coaches that have tried to change this but a difference I see is there are fewer teams willing to take risks with the ball Mm -hmm. I don't think you see a ton of that so a few teams that do come to mind when I think about teams in USL that want to actually really play and have possession Phoenix Rising is one of them Rick Schantz has done a a really good job I think of changing really the entire club's playing style and philosophy after he took over uh, a few years back now. So that's one. Mark Lowry with El Paso and now with Indy 11 is certainly another one. I think he's a really, really good coach. And then at Louisville City, I think we see some of that with Danny Cruz. Uh, John Morrissey, who does a ton of USL tactics stuff, just wrote a piece for Backheeled about Louisville City and really their their continued and sustained success over the last half decade. It was a really good story that, that touched on the tactical side as well. But generally speaking, whether it's because of the quality of player, whether it's because the, the playing surface, they deal with the same problems that MLS deals with relative to other soccer leagues in the world. They just deal with it a lot harder than MLS does. So mm. we, we don't see a ton of MLS teams really try to go out there and seize the game either. LAFC do that, but they're not like possession all the time. Uh, NYCFC are a really good example of that. There aren't a, a ton of teams that are trying to just dominate the ball. 
But I think you see more of that, or at least more of that in spurts in MLS than maybe you do in a league like USL. So I've been a long proponent of a theory that MLS's tactical style and play style is dictated in large part by the fact that the salary rules dictate that there's just no getting around that every so often someone making $80,000 has to touch the ball. And that's <laughs> yeah. no slight on someone making $80,000. Sure. That would be $80,000 more that I've ever made playing soccer. So um, <laughs> good on them for that. But tactically speaking with MLS, do you notice a difference with the way MLS plays because there is such a gross talent disparity between the best players on the field and, not to be mean, but the worst players on the field? Whereas in USL... I noticed when I was watching the league, and I don't know if this was your experience too, that the talent level tended to be a little more uniform throughout the team, that there wasn't that, you know, you didn't have the DP making $10 million compared to the guy making $80,000 at the bottom of the roster. And I think that produces some of what makes MLS interesting versus USL, where the experience tends to be a little more of the same from team to team. Yeah, and I think part of that in MLS is is you're sort of getting at the, the natural parity that I guess the league infuses into into its teams and into its competition with some of those roster rules, which are frustrating at times, and I think a lot of them are doing more harm than good. I will say, though, there is something to be said for the competitive balance that MLS has relative to a lot of European leagues, right? I think about Leo Messi in PSG, and I'll get back to it. Sorry, your question there in just a second. I guess I'm going on a tangent here. No. Um, I think back to, to Messi going to PSG and, and how excited I was and so many other folks were about a Messi, Neymar, Mbappe, PSG team and how much fun they were going to be to watch in Liga. And, and now nobody, maybe outside of some select European places, cares about Liga, right? That, that league's been over for uh, seemingly months now, right? As soon as PSG go out of the Champions League, we're not talking about Liga anymore. And I know we're not Liga's primary market, so that's, that's okay. <laughs> but I think the point stands, right? I think there's something to be said for having balance and making games entertaining. Now, MLS has the issue that their games maybe aren't as meaningful and entertaining until really late on in the year. But even so, I think that the parity is useful in certain senses. Now, about the, about the tactical side of things, I think one thing that that... that roster parity that that purposeful parity kind of does is it gives pressing teams a really good chance to succeed right i think mm. if you think about philly and the red bulls especially this year they're both great examples up towards the top of the eastern conference table they just played each other this past weekend uh so y- you see both these teams have really good results and really good underlying numbers in mls and, and they're good teams yes they have a lot of talent relative to some of the other teams in mls but they're not you know like a liverpool or man city level team relative to the other teams in their league they're just not but they're having a ton of success so i think that's an interesting thing it is almost a a leveler across mls you can press and be really aggressive you can sit in a lower block and have some success and seattle have done that plenty if you're smart with how you build your roster and smart with how you build an identity i think you can do a lot of really interesting things in this league yeah so to piggyback on that i kind of have like a two-parter question um, one is uh, there's been a lot of consternation in the like FC Cincinnati fan base this year that we're not having a lot of the ball, that our possession numbers aren't as high as they may have been under under Yopstam, even though the the results are better. And we've been a big proponent on this podcast to like not worry so much about that. Um, so I'd like you to just kind of maybe talk about um, – why it may not be the most important thing in the world to have a lot of the ball. Um, but two, um, we've also said that, you know, having like a coach is like another DP. Hmm. And, and I've always, I felt that 
because of the things you've talked about in the league that like having a coach that understands the league and is tactically flexible and has like kind of a plan for success is maybe more important than being a big spender. And I'm, I'm wondering if you agree with that part too. Yeah, so I'll start with the just second. Before, oh yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Before you before you start, I just want to say I I love we finally made it as a podcast. We've hit a guest with the. Can you talk about question? Talk about a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> SEC media days come to the postcast. I'm so excited about that. Sorry, please oh, continue. Yeah. I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, you're fine. Okay, so I'll start with the the coaching and the, and the spending half of that question. Then I'll go to the tactical side about having the ball. I think uh, I think there's a ton of value in having a really smart coach, and I'll I'll add. To that, I'll add uh, to the smart coach having someone really smart in the front office making decisions, and it's mm-hmm. it's probably still a little too early for me to make any definitive judgments about Chris Albright in the front office and Pat Noonan as coach. But the work they've done so far has been really good, right? Some of the additions that have been made, some of Pat Noonan's decisions and letting certain players play cough cough Brandon Vasquez, I think has has been great, <laughs> right? It's, it's been exactly what yes. this team has needed yes. to to turn things around, and and the fact that they've done that is so impressive. Like it, like it's it's shocking. It's honestly shocking to me, and I think this is is one of the best examples in MLS history of the value that a coach and a, and a smart front office person can can have and, and can add to a group. So. I think there's absolutely credence to that. And you look at you know other teams in MLS who maybe aren't spending a ton. In Cincy, I still haven't had a chance. State's been busy to comb through the MLS salary data. But oh. I, I'm guessing Cincy are, maybe maybe you guys have, towards the top, in the top third, in the top half of MLS in terms of spending. So we're, that, more, we're more middle this year. We've okay, been, middle third. We've, we've been near the top okay. uh, in the past. But this year we're like $13 million, which is in, by salary, kind of closer to the middle of the pack. Okay, that's that's perfect. So I think about other teams that I, I'm sure are lower down on that list, Montreal being one of them and Colorado being another. Those are teams that have done really well. Colorado last year doing exceptionally well in the Western Conference based off of the, the money they'd spent. And then this year, Montreal, who were up at the top of the Eastern Conference playing some great soccer with good front office decisions, good player acquisition uh, strategy, and Will Fernandez doing wonders with the tactics, right? So you can see the value that those decisions and those people can add to organizations, it doesn't require you to spend a ton of money. And, and I do think, generally speaking, MLS does need to spend more if they want to compete and, and do what they say they want to do, of, of becoming a really choice soccer league for fans who are looking for soccer and they have eight other leagues to choose from. They're not there now, but if you spend more, you'll get there. But more importantly, if you spend more and spend smart, you're going to get there. And MLS makes it harder for teams to do that with some of the roster mechanisms, and, and I kind of already referenced that, but I think there is absolutely credence to that idea. The second part of that question is, is about the, the value of possession. And I think, honestly, I think we see this all over the world. You can win soccer games playing so many different ways. If, if we keep things in MLS, Jesse Marsh coached a New York Red Bulls team and played in not the exact same way, but largely a similar way with a similar tactical philosophy to how the union play and, and to now how the Ohio Union Cincinnati play, right? I mean, there's so many similarities. You, you take those two guys, Albright and Noonan, out of out of the Union, you bring some other familiar players to them along with you to Cincinnati, and you're going to play aggressive. You're going to play without the ball for large stretches of the game. But it's not really about who has the ball. It's more about where you have the ball and, and where you let the other team have the ball. And teams that want to dominate possession, teams that really are, are committed to that, want to have the ball because they believe it gives them the best chance to move it into good spots to create goal-scoring chances while also limiting the opposition's chances. And that's that's certainly one way to look at it. And if you have the talent to do it, I think it's a great strategy. The other side of the coin is the coin that the, the side that Cincinnati are on right now this year, which is 
yeah, we believe that our best chance to move the ball into good spots is not by having a ton of it, but by defending, pressing in certain instances, winning it, and then catching the opposition out and really going. And we also believe that gives us the best chance to prevent the opposition from creating chances because we believe in our defensive structure and we believe that we can keep our our really valuable spaces covered with how we defend. So I think it's a totally valid strategy. We've seen MLS teams do really well with that strategy before. Seattle do it in a different way, but they've had a ton of success defending a little bit deeper. The Union in recent years, the Red Bulls in recent years, even NYCFC are a really big pressing team, or at least they have been in the past. So I wouldn't be too concerned if I'm a Cincinnati fan about how these results are coming as long as there is a repeatable style and methodology behind it. And I think there is that this year. Yeah, and what's insane about that is that they're doing that with Ian Murphy, a draft pick, and Nick Haglin anchoring that defense. It's not Jeff Cameron and Tyler Blackett, as everybody probably expected at the beginning of the season. And that, to me, again, is just like the coaching is unreal on this team, yeah. that, that they're getting these performances out of Murphy and Haglin. Yeah, and, and you also take out Maturita as well, who I think is a really good player, maybe not the highest upside defensive player, but a really creative force on that left side who can do a lot of stuff that other left backs or left wing backs in this league can't. He's not involved. They're still pretty light, I think, on on depth in central midfield and and maybe some, I I guess there is attacking depth, but I'm not necessarily sold on a lot of those pieces and there's not a ton that can be done about that right now. But even still, the roster isn't optimized and the fact that a lot of these results are coming and the numbers look good behind the results, that's hugely encouraging, I think, for Cincinnati. Yeah, the important part for Cincinnati this year, I think, and maybe you can speak a little bit of this too, is that it, we've sort of learned the hard way that building an MLS roster that you absolutely have to buy and locate or locate and buy some of these high high basement guys where they're MLS experienced guys where they're not at a risk to completely provide zero value. So you look at guys like uh, Dominic Baji, Matarita being another example of that, of guys where they may not have the upside of superstar potential at all, but at the very least you know you're going to be getting solid pieces with them that you can count on, you can pencil them into a roster, and you know that they're going to they're, they're not going to embarrass you out there when you sign them, versus some of the guys we tried to build our roster with in the past where we signed them and the basement fell out from mm. underneath them and we got absolutely nothing out of it. And I, I think that's a, a trend and a reality for leagues all over the world. I don't think that's just an MLS thing. Having players who can fill out your roster, who you know will give you X, whatever that is, for, for whatever player in whatever position, has a ton of value. It's extremely useful for a manager to rely on those players to understand, okay, I know this is what I'm getting. You're going to help us set our floor as a team. And, and your job isn't really to help us raise the ceiling, but your job is to get us consistent results at whatever level we decide makes sense and whatever the situation is in that particular moment. I think there is absolutely truth to that. And Cincy leaning into some of those guys this year, I think has had a, a lot of, uh, has, has helped them get some of these results. Yeah, and one of those players, uh, that comes to mind, at least somebody that was highly thought of before this season uh, but hadn't shown it yet, was old Brandon Vasquez. And Vasquez, I mean, we we memed it. I like to think we memed it into reality. Brandon Vasquez to the national team. <laughs> and then at a point there, we were willing to go with the Mexican national team. Just any national team that would take him, we're happy for Brandon. Um, realistically... Do you think Brandon Vasquez can can play on a World Cup roster at, at the end of this year? Yes. Yes, I do. Do I think it's likely? 
Mm, maybe, Ooh. maybe not, right? I mean, I, come on, lie to me. Okay, lie to yes, me. he will. He will be in Qatar. The, the challenge is, we haven't seen him with Greg Baralter before, and I think there's a good chance he gets called up in June. Baralter referenced a, a dual national. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be an attacking player. Brandon Vasquez is that. He checks that box. So, I think there's a good chance we see him in June. After the June window, I think we'll have a much better idea of what the outlook is for the World Cup. It's just too early. In my mind, for any nine outside of Jesus Ferreira, he's the one guy. He's leading the MLS Golden Boot Race. He's played for Peralta plenty over the last, I guess, really throughout the World Cup qualifying. He's been involved in that group, and he does something different, Ferreira, Ferreira does, than, than any other nine that the U.S. has, really any other player that the U.S. has. So he's kind of in his own little bubble. But as far as who's filling out the second and third, if we assume there's going to be three nines going to Qatar for the U.S., as far as who's filling out those spots, Brandon Vasquez, for me, has pretty much a, as good of odds as anybody else. He, he is hindered by the fact that he hasn't been involved with the U.S. before at the senior level. That does hurt him compared to some of those other guys, but he also has a chance to prove himself and to start fresh in ways that other players don't. So could he be on the Qatar, uh, in Qatar on the U.S. roster? Yeah, why not, right? <laughs> so when you watch Brandon Vasquez right now, it's it's sort of been a revelation to a lot of people around here. And we saw a little bit of it at the end of last season. And if you were actually paying attention to FC Cincinnati at the end of the year last year, <laughs> God bless you. But what, what, what do you see from Brandon Vasquez that would lead an FC Cincinnati fan to think, this is a repeatable skill set. This is something we're seeing that isn't just a flash in the pan, that there might be something here that he's awa- that is awakened within him to give him this potential to continue what he's doing and go on to Qatar for the uh, the United States. His movement in the box is the first thing for me. I think back to that goal he scored against Minnesota. What was that? Not this past weekend, but the one before, right? That, that game yeah. winner. Yeah. The movement is great. And he's, he's not exactly fighting through like a really compact crowd of bodies inside the 18. It's not the best defending from Minnesota. But you can still see... His understanding, you can almost see it in, in real time. Him realize, okay, this is where to cut and, and this is where to go. It's so smooth from Vasquez and he sees space and moves to exploit it really quickly and efficiently. And he's done that all season long. He's even done that earlier in his career as well. Some of that promise has been there before. He's just now getting a chance to show it in a team that isn't combusting as it as it goes along, right? So that's a, that's a huge part of it. The other part is I think he's fairly well-rounded outside the box. I think he has has decently soft feet, which is impressive for a a bigger dude. And because he is a bigger guy, he can hold up the ball. He's a threat in the air. He can body center backs off. And he's not perfect at any of those things. I think there's room to improve each one of those dimensions of his game. But when you think about a guy like, well, really any good number nine, I was going to say Chris Wondolowski, not that Vasquez is or, or maybe will ever be Chris Wondolowski, but how much those nines just live off of movement in the box and the rest of the stuff they can add is gravy. If you put them in a team that can give them the ball in good spots, they're going to be dangerous. And and right now, Vasquez is doing that box stuff and then some. I'm so glad you brought up the Chris Wondolowski comparison because Vasquez this season has given a lot of credit to an FC Cincinnati assistant coach uh, for his movement in the box in particular, but his goal scoring, Dominic Kinnear, who... Mm help make Chris Wondolowski who Chris Wondolowski was. So if that can be, if he can be the, the next Chris Wondolowski, I look forward to him uh, skying a uh, obvious chance oh, at the 2026 no, World Cup. Oh, come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. Guys, oh, he'd make a World no. Cup roster, two World Cups it's, running. It's That's fun. Skying it for Mexico. It, it, it's forever too soon. It's forever too soon on that one. Though. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I love the groans on that. That was just like just perfect. 
<laughs> so, so you referenced earlier talking about MLS, and I wanted to pick your brain on this before we get too far astray. The roster rules that are holding MLS back. In your mind, what are the rules specifically that are holding MLS back? And if you were Don Garber for a day, what <laughs> rules would you undo immediately in MLS regarding salary and roster structure? Oh, the interesting thing is if I was Don Garber for a day, I'm not sure I, I would make any of those changes. I think his perspective and the perspective of a lot of owners is is we need to be very, very measured with how we do this stuff. And I'm not sure that's necessarily the wrong way to look at it. I think maybe you, you loosen the reins a little bit. So I probably would make some changes, but I don't think I'd blow up the system in the way that maybe a lot of other folks would. Things that are, are too complicated that are holding the lead back, there's just too much right now. There's just, there's just too many roster rules and mechanisms that don't really add things when you could just loosen some of the restrictives and restrictions and get the same value. You know, I think adding the U22 initiative is good and it gives teams more flexibility to sign players that are under 22. The transfer fees don't don't have as much of an impact. They hit the budget as a at a certain charge consistently. That's great. Maybe instead of that you just expand the salary cap a little bit. And that is happening with the new CBA. They are going to add money into the salary cap every year. But maybe getting rid of some of those buckets. And I I am not as well as well versed in the MLS roster rules as I would like to be, and I know how much of a sicko that makes me. But that is on my list of things. That, genuinely, that, to get to get take, better. Take it off your list. <laughs> take it off your list right now. It's, it's, Let me it's, say, a, it's a rule book that was written by a bunch of coked uh, out Dungeons and Dragons nerds. It makes no <laughs> sense whatsoever. That actually, yeah, it's that's fair. I guess that is fair. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'll say it this way. I'm not as well versed in the MLS roster rules as a lot of folks are out there. So I don't know if if you know Tam or if which which does look like it's being phased out. Or the U22 initiative, or DPs. Justin Egan just wrote a piece for Backyield about you know why MLS should get rid of the DP rule. But the, the major theme is simplify, right? Simplify, allow teams to spend money in a more efficient way than they can right now with all of these rules. And not every team's going to do a good job. Some teams are going to do a terrible job. But that's just kind of how soccer and roster building works. I think giving teams a chance and allowing them to spend a little bit more in a less restricted way will help the league. But that's also how sports works, too. Yeah. I mean, you look at the NFL, like... There are a lot of teams in the NFL that are terrible at understanding how the NFL works. Yeah. The Detroit Lions haven't figured this out in my adult <laughs> lifetime. Um, but that's kind of the part of the fun is when you can understand the rules and you can go online and you can have a coherent debate with someone about why your team doesn't understand the salary yeah. cap and why your team yeah. doesn't prioritize the right. It's hard to have that in MLS because there's probably five people that understand yeah. the rule book in the entire country, and all five of them write for the athletics, so it's like they're already being paid. Right, and it's like, I think the salary cap and a lot of the mechanisms add a level of entertainment and, and just nerdery to MLS that I enjoy. And I, I maybe, maybe that goes for a lot of other folks, and, and I'm guessing it doesn't probably go for a larger portion of the soccer audience. As an American sports fan, I am not itching for MLS to get rid of all of these things. I, I'm not itching for them to get rid of some of these aspects that I think make the league interesting in a, in a way that no other soccer league really has. But I, I think it is too complex. I think the rules are too difficult for people to interpret and they require too much legwork to really understand for, for people on the outside and also for people on the inside. You know, it's, it's difficult for people inside organizations to understand what they can and can't do, not in every case, but in some cases. And I think that does make things a little harder for MLS teams than, than, it, needs to, than it needs to. Yeah, I'm not sure you need to like phase out all of that stuff because you see how like NFL, especially NBA fans, yeah, go nuts about like the like what, what is it like the the trade simulator where you sure, can like, yeah, figure the, out like, trade machine, yeah, like, how, how to do all that stuff. Yeah, so people love like kind of figuring out the little nuances, but my, I felt always felt like 
not maybe not always, but one of the things we've always held our hat on here is um, like being a big spender in the league, and clearly that didn't do anything for us. So I think we talked about in this podcast how how not necessarily being a big spender in relation to the other teams is like necessarily that big of a deal. But I do think that if you expanded the spending a little bit, loosened some of the rules, you could see a, a better yeah. a better quality of play league wide. But you could still retain a lot of the stuff that you, a lot of yeah. the salary cap related stuff that you have. Of course, yeah, it's not like an either or. It's not a black and white situation. I think there's room to loosen, which will help MLS better compete with Liga MX, which is kind of the maybe the next big horizon along with the TV deal, which I guess should be announced at some point soon. It's already kind of past the deadline for the league. But but those things and headed into 2026, those are all kind of key storylines around the league right now. And and seeing how teams spend with the the little incremental extra bits of money they get between now and the end of this CBA, and then to see what happens after that, I think will be really interesting. Because to a certain extent, like, in order for MLS to take the next step as a league in America – I mean, the NBA and the NFL, they're year-round leagues yeah. where people follow the intrigue of rosters, of salary cap, free agency, the draft, everything like that. And MLS really, because it's it's kind of opaque in the way that roster construction works and the way the league setup works, it loses a little bit of that yeah. this league, quote-unquote, that you get from everybody else following <laughs> the NBA and the NFL. And it might, be, it might be fun to get a little more of that in terms of driving interest in, a, in the product. And you referenced the TV deal. I mean, we did a game here in Cincinnati versus LAFC that did 100,000 viewers on FS1. So anything that drives additional attention and eyeballs to the league has to be a good thing at this point. Yeah, no (laughs) doubt about that. And and even coupling the some of the the intricacies of the league that that those of us MLS nerds kind of care about and maybe we can convince other people to care about too, coupling that with more spending. I I think about you mentioned year-round leagues. The NFL and the NBA certainly are. I, I would argue that even the Premier League is that. Because of the transfer interest. It's not because they have a ton of fascinating roster mechanisms. People don't care about that in Europe. But they have enough money that they're spending, and it's high profile enough as an entity to draw people in over the summer. You'll get transfer window article after transfer window article. I bet. I don't know. I've never worked in that environment. never covered European soccer on the written side. I bet those do better metrics-wise, performance-wise, and and clicks-wise than any other stories they put out all year long. And I think if MLS can get a couple of those things put together – Maybe in a decade, <laughs> now you're really starting to cook. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, I, I've definitely heard some European-based podcasts uh, where the hosts are bemoaning the fact that they feel like people are just fans of transfers and not teams, yeah. uh, which is fun. Um, no, for me, I think the, the MLS should just be transparent about things. Like, how much gam does every team has? We don't know. We we don't right. they don't give us they don't give us totals, which is very annoying. But um, no. Speaking <laughs> of transparency, Joe, uh, you're writing for the Backheeled now. Tell us a little bit about your new site. Absolutely. So Backheeled.com. You can find us at Backheeled on Twitter. Is uh, a new website covering American soccer, and our goal is to cover it from different and really unique angles. So we're covering MLS, we're covering NWSL and USL on the U.S. national teams. We'll have stuff around the, the June window for the U.S. MNT and some, some women's national team stuff later on in the summer when they have some really big tournaments going on. Uh, our, our goal is to do all that stuff in, in different ways. And we have a really diverse group of folks that, that cover it in, in, I guess, their own unique kind of way. I mentioned Justin Egan. He does a lot of the MLS stuff, and he writes and, and likes data, but also looks at the league through a really interesting lens and, and can condense big topics into a readable article, which is something that I think not many folks out there can do. 
Adam Snavely is covering the league in his mm. own and covering soccer in his own very Adam Snavely kind of way, which I think is great. <laughs> yes. I've been a huge fan of his work. We freelanced at The Athletic at the same time. And Adam is just, yeah, great. great. He does great work covering American soccer. John Morrissey covering uh, some USL stuff. I mentioned his name earlier, a, a real tactics guy, and also knows and has a lot of context in the USL world. Ariana Cascone is a, a data person who also knows a ton about the NWSL, knows more about that than anybody I know. And, and she's done a great job covering it uh, so far for Backheeled. And then some, some freelancers, some, some contributors as well that are maybe outside of that core group. We had Adam Bells of the Scuff Podcast write a piece on the U.S. Men's National Team. J. Sam Jones, uh, who writes for mm. the Mothership, MLSsoccer.com, uh, wrote a really fun uh, entertainment rankings piece for the website last week. And Tom Bogert, Tommy Scoops, is uh, going to be writing a couple of things Ooh. going forward as well. All right. So All right. It's, a, it's a fun cast of characters. It really is. We've had fun working together, and it's been fun for me to, to bring some different voices in as well. And, and myself writing about MLS and the U.S. Men's National Team, and I'll, I'll be doing some Women's National Team stuff, trying to shine a light on some of that tactic stuff we talked about earlier. So between tactics and data, some humorous stuff, and just some, some weird stuff that I think people are going to love, that's what we're trying to do with Backhield, and so far it's been great. So just to bring it all full circle, you started because the U.S. missed the World Cup, so that makes you the biggest Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> fan of all time. How much are you looking forward to this November finally covering and writing about the United States playing in a World Cup. A ton. I honestly am so excited. It'll be, I mean, we we need to figure out exactly what our content plan and strategy is going to be. I'm excited (laughs) to even have the chance to do that stuff, right? We have plenty of ideas already cooking, but really finalizing that as we get closer into the summer and into the fall is going to be a blast. Like that stuff gets me excited before the soccer even happens. And then watching this team, whatever happens at the World Cup, you, you're going to play England, you're going to play another European team of some kind. There, there's quality games in, in, in the future for the U.S., all three group stage games, and maybe something after that. I think it's going to be a blast. Oh no! It sounds it sounds awesome. I will definitely be uh, instantly subscribing and reading all of those things. Thank uh, you. you guys got a great site cooking over there, um, and Joe. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the postcast tonight. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you had fun. I know I had fun. Um, and yeah, thanks, thanks for coming on. Of course, guys. This was seriously tons of fun. I really love what you all are doing. Really great voices covering Cincy, and, and it's been a blast talking with you guys. I'd love to do this again sometime. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, if you ever make your way through Cincy, uh, first Skyline Coney's on us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Oh man, what what a great interview that guy was. Uh Joe Lowry, check him out. Check out all of his work. Uh Backhield at Backhield is where you can find where he's he's writing stuff. Um no, that I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, like I said, hopefully he did too. I don't know. I, I like to think that we're just running this podcast so that we can have an excuse to talk to interesting people that we've read their work and, and listened to their words over the years. So um, And who will yeah. answer one of our DMs to come on the show. That also is a prerequisite. <laughs> and uh, won't get rejected by FC Cincinnati PR's team. Um yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> speaking of uh, FC Cincinnati PR, uh, salary dump day. I mean, this is a great day in MLS every year. Uh, happens twice a year, but really, it's the first one that matters the most. Um, 
the MLS Players Association does what I think every industry should do and posts everybody's salaries up on a publicly viewable website. And some interesting things jumping out on uh, on on the uh, the roster notes, the salary notes. Um, I'll say for me, the biggest takeaway was, and it's something that uh, Chief has already alluded to, how little Kenneth Vermeer's contract is officially formally posted online um chief i I don't want to steal your take here uh and if it wasn't you i apologize uh to whoever i'm stealing this from but i do wonder if there isn't some other mls buffoonery going on behind the scenes that is hiding where a lot of his actual salary is going on this but uh uh, chief what jumped out at you and uh, were you also surprised about vermeer I was shocked because I think that the prevailing <laughs> rumor around the fan base was that he was making something close to five hundred to six hundred thousand this year, and I, I had heard that from some yeah. decently high placed sources at FC Cincinnati that he was making a lot of money this year. I just have this vision of you, Kevin, though, that it's like that scene from The Jerk with Steve Martin with the phone book on Salary Day, where he comes yes. running out with the documents like it's Salary Day. This is the best day of the year. Everyone on this list is somebody. Um, now my main takeaway from the salary list was it's just, we, we've made this point in the podcast before, but you look at the list and the team is getting nothing in terms of production from three of the top four names on the list. Um, the three, the four top names are Lucho Acosta, Brenner, Alan Cruz, and Yuya Kubo. And Acosta is an MVP candidate for the league, but Brenner has been on visa issues. You keep issues. his name out your mouth. Visa issues. <laughs> he he hasn't scored any goals. He hasn't played a ton relative to other people. Kubo's been hurt. Alan Cruz has been a tremendous disappointment for now two and a half years running. Um, and to me, it it my takeaway was is man, imagine if this team was getting anything from those salary spots and. I said it online, but I think there's another gear for this team to hit if Kubo comes back healthy and can contribute, and if if Brenner can become what Grayson thinks he is. And <laughs> if that happens, then there's a ton of upward mobility potential for this team. And then the only other takeaway I had was, was everyone else or was anyone else shocked how much money Tyler Blackett was making? Because oh my God. I, I, I had him pegged maybe about half that. And it's like, shit, at, at that money, I, I don't know that I'd resign him this summer, but there's just no one else there. Like, that's a lot of money to be paying for lots of mediocrity when it comes to defending. I don't know that there's a lot of daylight between him and Jeff Cameron in terms of what they provide on the field, and Cameron is doing it at half the cost. But that yeah, was a shocking so, amount of money. Yeah, so I was saying like early, a couple of podcasts ago that um, – Good, like MLS teams with good center backs tend to pay them in like the 600000 to $1 million range. And I was hoping we would sign one of those guys. I had no idea we had one already on the roster. <laughs> I mean, I looked, at, I looked at the 2021 salary guide, and it must have just been like his salary from August to uh, to November, right? Because it was yeah. it was like 300 and something thousand. So maybe, maybe it was prorated. But uh, Blackett making 100000 was really – the big um, making eight hundred thousand was really the big surprise to me, um, but you know, I mean, if he if he plays like an eight hundred thousand dollars center back, then <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then, that'd be then, great. 
then we are we sitting pretty the rest of the yeah. year. But, or even left back, you know, the the Moderita replacement was on the roster. The yeah, because he's like making like what Moderita's making. It's like that scene in Saving Silverman when they have like the set list from Neil Diamond on the wall. Yes. It's that looks like a photocopy. No, it's not a photocopy. I paid a lot of money for it. It's like Tyler Blackett over there. He doesn't look very good. No, he's fine. I paid a lot of money for him. <laughs> so I, I do think I do think Brenner will come good this season if he stays on the team all year. Um, if he becomes what I think he is, like the Chief said, then we might be in a little trouble because we saw how like having the God King Maud Dib turned out for the Imperium <laughs> in the Dune books. Um, but uh, some some other like surprises. I mean, there weren't a lot of surprises. I mean, I feel like Harris Madunian is on a really good number right now. Yeah. Um, uh, Nick Hagland at $84,000. Um, there have been some folks who have mentioned that he's on that club ambassador uh, deal. There is an MLS there. There is an MLS roster rule that allows you to have a player on like a professional development side contract where you give them another role in your organization. Um, the most uncapped money you can have for that deal is fifty percent of their player salary. Mm. So Hagland could be making up to forty two thousand um, dollars in that club ambassador role and not hitting the books, but. I only care about what hits the books. They could pay him five, six hundred thousand dollars as a club <laughs> ambassador, and I just I don't give a shit. I I mean I th- I think Nick Nick Hagland on a eighty four thousand dollar budget budget hit, which is which is potentially no hit if he's on the supplemental roster, uh, sounds like a steal to me. Um, I think so. Some folks have said okay, well like Baji's on five fifty, which is um, fine. Ray Gaddis is on 230 when he wasn't playing See, last year. Ray Gaddis is the one that jumps out at me. But, He's making more than Harris Madunian. But here's the he, thing. He took but they also had, they had to lure him out of retirement. Yeah. I'm sorry, my brain is still broken from the idea of the Brenarian jihad down there with Grayson. <laughs> but, but, I mean, with, with, with Gaddis, they had to give him enough money to get off the couch because his, his alternative was just stay retired. Yeah, so here's, here's surely, the thing. Here's the thing. Sorry, go right? ahead. Go ahead. Make okay, your point. So you can say, like, okay, well, well, well Baji is making five fifty. He's probably more of a two to three hundred thousand dollar player, and Ray Gaddis is maybe more of a one one hundred thousand dollar player. Or Junior Moreno maybe got a little too much of a raise given that he is as Matt Doyle likes to point out. <laughs> lost his starting do- starting job, meaning he like didn't start one game uh, on a team that didn't make the playoffs, which by the way was like four points out of third in the East or something because it was so tight. Um, <laughs> those that to me is like so nitpicky. We've never had the luxury to like nitpick a contract. It's been <laughs> this guy is making one point two million dollars and doing <laughs> jack shit. Right, so it's like okay, so this guy's yeah. making this guy's making Ray Gaddis is making two thirty, and he's a borderline starter. Maybe like I don't give a shit. He's making two thirty. He's contributing to the team. Right, it's incredible, wonderful. But like also to to a certain extent, and I hate to bring up the bad old days, but part of that is the FC Cincinnati tax, and that they had right. to convince these guys to sign with what was at the time and historically bad MLS franchise. And to get Ray Gaddis off the couch probably costs X number of dollars. 
to get him off the couch and join a terrible team probably adds a premium to that. Same with Baji. They had to convince him to go sign here. And that Baji had a- options. I mean, Baji surely had yeah, options. Yeah. I like to point out about the Baji deal. It's a one-year deal. We So we have True. we have two team options on it per um, Laurel's reporting. Uh, so, okay, so we, we have him on 550 this year. If we don't think he's worth 550, just don't pick up his option. Yeah. Yeah. And we got all, and, and we free up 550, or we free up, you know, we re-sign him on a lower, on a lower salary, like we did with Madunian and some other guys. So I think if if you're if you're looking at this year as like a, a reset, you know, we want to get we want to get those veterans in the team so they're in the team, and we want to just not finish last, get to a point where we can build a foundation next year, paying a little bit more. For a high high floor MLS player on a one year deal, seems perfectly fine to me. Yeah, the good no, I, I think it's just, it's a bit of smart shopping from Albright in the sense that yeah, you're not tied in long term. Um, I have to imagine uh, we're in the last year of Madunian's deal. I don't remember if he has a multi year deal. I assume not. They resigned Madunian to a, a one year deal. On a much lower dollar amount because his contract expired in the off season. Right. The, the other the other nice takeaway from this was looking at it was that every year you get to use that get this bum off my roster MLS ro- uh, mechanism to cancel a contract. And when you look at the 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 list of contracts there, you're really only down to maybe two or three now where it's it's players where you could see them using that roster mechanism on. I think. I don't know how much longer Alan Cruz has left on his deal. Um, he's the obvious choice because, dear God, what a waste of cash. I believe but, I believe Cruz and Kubo are both up this year. Okay, so then Ooh. you're really down to one, and that's Isaac Atanga at this point. Um, in terms of players that are on, you know, decent money deals that are that are not contributing at all. But I, I it's it's really quite amazing the transition Albright for all the for all we heard from Albright about how hamstrung he was on deals and contracts he really has kind of weaved the path through around some some roadblocks to the point now where next year you know it's it's early to talk about next year when the team looks so good and it seems like it's trending in the right direction but next year there should be some real real room for Albright to make some big time additions to this club and not have to worry about anchor contracts dragging the top of the roster down which is exciting i love it yeah i love kubo um with moreno and wobodo in the midfield his his contract is starting to look a little i i hate to say this he's starting to look a little bit more like like dead money because we need hopefully he comes back and proves his worth maybe (laughs) in 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 the forward position right but i'm assuming that with Brenner under contract, re-signing Vasquez at like a Jeremy Abobasi number. Um, may, you know, Baji or whatever the off-season equivalent of Baji is, a reliable workhorse MLS Swiss Army knife forward. Um, you you have. Kubo and Cruz, that's two and a half million dollars. 
coming off the books that Chris Albright gets to use however he wants. But like, like when you look at all these contracts that are that we have here and the ones that we've brought in, to a certain extent, you almost with as successful as Albright has been in bringing in good quality players. And I think Wobodo, it's it's too early to tell. I mean, I think he looks great so far, but I, I admit it's a small sample size that we've seen from him. It almost plays to the idea that no contract from the previous regime of any sort should be safe. Um, because I, I think that Albright, we're, we're moving into the point now. Like, I, I brought the point up, I think, online after the, even before this, this last win, that the time is now to start talking about an extension for Albright and Noonan. Um, Noonan, 100%. For for Noonan, hundred percent. I think for Albright too. At this point, I'll, I'll if, be honest. If Especially Noonan the salary ever dollar. coaches for another MLS team, we have massively failed. Unless he's coaching for another MLS team after he went to Europe, then coached the U.S. <laughs> national team, and you know decided to come back to MLS late in his career. He Bob Bradley's us, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's but, that's fine. But if he leaves us for another MLS team at any point in his career. We have massively fucked up because there is no scenario in a, in, a, in, a, in a league with a salary cap as hamstruck as MLS that another team should be able to offer a coach more than you can offer them if you're yep. an ambitious club. I agree. I think we should be talking about that right now. And I, yes. I, I think that the, big, the, bigger, the bigger point to the, that I was going to make too is that that Albright has been so good with what he's brought in. There hasn't been a clunker contract brought in under Albright. The players he's brought in have been good to great. He's getting more out of guys that he was expected. To, like the Lucho Acosta is thriving in this system and under this coaching uh, regime. Vasquez is thriving. To me, if I'm ownership, I want to open the checkbook up. And I want to, if he comes to me and says, I can get Brenner out of here on this much of a loss, I want to open the contract spot for, for Noonan and Albright as quickly as possible. If if we can get Kubo out of here more quickly than the end of his contract, I want to open the contract spot for, for Albright. I mean, I think he is more than proven with his stewardship of the money so far in the roster so far that I, I want to see more. I want to see what a roster entirely of Chris Albright players coached by Pat Noonan looks like. I'm excited for that because what I've seen so far is half a roster of Chris Albright players is better soccer than we've seen around here since John Harkes was coaching. And so that's, I think, that's cool. I think we should definitely give Albright as much freedom as as you can reasonably afford him. So if 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 we got to take a loss with some of these guys, if he finds a way to ship out whoever he wants to ship out, just do it. Right? If he decides he wants Kubo gone, yeah, Kubo's gone. I think he's. So I think you got to give him that that level of confidence. Do I think that you give him a massive contract extension tomorrow? No. I think let's let him have a summer window. See what he does in the summer. See what he does next winter. I think you talk to him about it and you tell him, we like what we see so far, but we want to see like big moves when you have the roster flexibility that is opening up. Right. Um, it's, yeah, I, it's I, worth noting. I'm optimistic oh. about what he can do. I'm not as ready to give Albright a massive, you know, blank check contract extension 
um, as I am Noonan, particularly when we know that they're trying to sign a chief soccer officer, I guess. I mean, I don't know how that plays into right. the types of contracts you give to the GM. Right. Um, I, I don't, I, I, I'm very, we don't have to go back down this road, but I'm very nervous about the idea that we're going to sign a chief soccer officer and he's not going to get along with Albright and it's going to fuck the whole thing up again. Right, right. Now, I, I think to the Albright point as well, that the big contributors aren't Albright signings yet. It's Vasquez and Kubo and Hagland um, are like the core of this team. And, and throwing Hagland's name in there is a surprise to anybody. But, um, but yeah, I want to see this roster when it's three of Albright's DPs and it's all of Albright signings out on the field. I don't know if we've ever had that. I don't even know if you can put together a competent starting 11 of only Albright signings right now. Maybe you can. I haven't thought about it yet. Well, you wouldn't but, want to um, because Lucho Acosta wouldn't be on the field and that would be malpractice right. yeah, not yeah, to put him out right. there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's some it's some weakened version of our Open Cup uh, roster, which is uh, horrifying. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I think, too, uh, Chief, to your point about there being another gear, uh, the Corner of the Galaxy podcast put together this quick little sheet of um, the dollar per point or how much each point has cost each team this year and it's insane to think about the amount of dead weight dead uh roster space that we have on our roster right now and it's not hurting us so cincinnati ranks ninth in the league in basically the uh least expensive points that they have which means on salary we're, we're on salary which is we're efficient and like this is what budget teams excel at and we're doing this with a shit ton of wasted roster uh just incredible to think that where this team could be with a number of uh of imports yeah i brought this point up earlier today but you think about it if you replace uh the players we talked about earlier brenner kubo and uh cruz with academy players or super draft picks. I don't know that this team has any different point total right now. I mean, mm. maybe a point or two here or I don't there. Think they beat I, or, I don't think they beat Orlando without Kubo. But even still, like, that's incredible that right. we're doing this with the efficiency level with mostly, I think Ian Murphy and Roman Celentano heavily skew that a little bit, plus Haglin yes. reemerging. But it, it's we're, the value signing. Drafts looking we real talk, good now, huh? What? Drafts huh? looking real good now. Huh? Uh, nah, I don't <laughs> what did hear about what this did shit. what did Kip Keller do last I weekend? You, <laughs> want to make you say it again? Um, no, it, it, it's it goes back to the point we made in the interview, and that's that just the the idea of reprioritizing MLS experience and high high floor guys, high basement guys, where the team stabilized with the inclusion of guys like Moreno. Baji, uh, Matarita, these guys that were like, you know what you're getting when you sign them. And that's such a change from what we've had around here. And that's, to me, that's why you commit to Albright now. I understand the idea of waiting. You don't lose anything by waiting because he's already under contract to you. But it's, we have gone so long on this team and in this city. I know that's funny to say for a team that's only been in MLS for three years. With, with, with <laughs> chaos is our brand. And to me, right. there's something tremendously appealing about handing him a five-year deal and saying, guess what? 
your five-year mission is to explore strange new worlds and seek out an MLS trophy. That's that's what I fucking want out of it. Win this. a trophy before year seven. I think the crew won their first trophy in their seventh year. I like that as a benchmark. That's a good benchmark. And it was it was the it was the Open Cup. Well, we, we, that ship it. sailed this year, so yeah. <laughs> but but we we can only count we can only count MLS years. So well, right. we we have three more years to win a trophy. To well, beat the doable. Crew. Yeah, I think we'll get we'll win, maybe we'll win two, win this year and next year. Be nice. Yeah, be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the trick. Say FC Cincinnati does pretty good oh, this Leagues year. Cup. That's the thing. I, I imagine <laughs> they'll get a decent seeding in the League's Cup. I don't know how it'll be seeded, but I assume that'll be helpful. And uh, if the Open Cup keeps the same format, they'll get a better placement in the Open Cup and get to skip around. So we'd be able to skip that Pittsburgh round, which can you know, just be a little trap game for you. Um, no, I mean, this year could set up a potential run at a conference title, an Open Cup, a League's Cup. I mean, there's, there's certainly possibilities there with – like we said, minor tweaks, just replacing a couple of roster spots. I mean, I haven't gone through it, but I imagine you could find two midfielders on this uh, MLSPA sheet that are making Kubo and Cruz's salary that if you swapped them in, <laughs> like you, you could just be setting this team on a whole new level by finding two other TAM signings somewhere else in the league and just drop them into this roster. I know one cup we're not winning. We are not going to win the Ohio Cup this year. God. I will I will make oh. that prediction right now. We will not win the Ohio Cup. God. Now, okay, so <laughs> I'll, I'll set the table, and then I'll, I'll address something here. So the, uh, the Ohio Cup, according to the Daily Mail, uh, I believe is the definitive source on all things Ohio Cup, uh, is apparently <laughs> dead. This was... Uh, uh, was Before Valencia. many people even knew it was alive, which is incredible. <laughs> yes. I will. Uh, is it worth saying that we knew something vaguely about it beforehand? Probably not. But uh, cite your it source. Like it was going to be <laughs> right, right. Name your source. Yeah, uh, Jeff Birding wrote it in the memo on the check that he sends yeah. us each week. Duh. So that was nice. <laughs> Ohio Cup coming soon. Um, no, so I it was we got uh, new... that nice new microphone. <laughs> Those aren't cheap. At all. Um, So it was Newcastle, Wolverhampton, Valencia, and another team uh, that I do not remember. Uh, uh, um, Not Villarreal. 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 I'm saying Villarreal. I almost okay. said Viasia. <laughs> it was just Gustavo Viasia. It was part of his punishment for, I I was for not showing up Newcastle. in the camp in shape. Okay. One Gustavo Viasia versus Newcastle. Now, uh, it's not obvious to me that either Columbus Crew or FC Cincinnati would have actually been a part of this. I think the idea was they were going to do either the two English teams play each other or one Spanish team, one English team play, and then they would have a final somewhere. I don't know, maybe in Cleveland that would be fun. Um, But it sounds like it all fell apart. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, The Daily Mail seems to suggest that MLS needed, the league needed to sign off on this thing and didn't or were incredibly hesitant or maybe had some condition that nobody wanted to play along with. Um, it was implied it was yeah. related to related to, to ticket sales, to ticket sales which indicates to me it's another casualty of the Who concert. 
that people have already been to TQL Stadium enough this year. And, you know, a lot of the people who might go to this game had bought tickets to the Who concert. And uh, we're, we're, no longer, we're no longer interested. So the logic is it's impossible to deny. I just don't even know how to start <laughs> fighting that. It's just the I, when I think of the Who and the fan base of of Valencia, I, I just see it's it's one circle. The Venn diagram is one circle right there. I don't know. I won't get fooled again on that. I maybe I'm alone in this take, but do, do you guys care about these friendlies? Like unless no. it's like the team you follow, no. do you care? No, I don't no. care. I don't care. I'm a Chelsea fan. If Chelsea showed up, I would go. But the problem is, is that not even Chelsea is showing up. It's Matt Miazga. Matt Miazga <laughs> and the reserves. Like, even Christian Pulisic wouldn't show up for a friendly that Chelsea's right. playing. If he does, he's on for 15 minutes. He waves the crowd, and everybody everybody has a good cheer. But these friendlies, are they, they're cash grabs. They are a chance for people who... Are, which I guess would be most people who are never going to make it over to London or to Europe or to Manchester or to Liverpool to go see their EPL team. And yeah, yeah. pores as we call them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I get the appeal to a certain extent if it's your team, but I remember when when Crystal Palace came here back in, what was that, 16? And that yeah, was that the biggest deal, the biggest goddamn deal in the world because a USL team was playing an EPL team. But what, what most people don't know is the year before, Crystal Palace had played up at the C- Cruise Stadium and had drawn like 10,000 people. Like nobody cares. But it was a novelty act when we were here, when we were in USL. And the, the novelty had died by year two. Like I, Do you remember when they announced the international friendly in year two? There was an issue that the director of sports marketing for Valencia wanted to be part of the announcement. And he was stuck on a transatlantic flight and couldn't join the press conference. So Jeff Birding goes out and holds a press conference with all the local media there, thinking that they were going to get, you know, Man United or they were going to get Tottenham over here. And instead, the press conference is Jeff Birding stalling for 15 minutes and then saying, I can't announce who the team is, but I can't announce we are playing a team from La Liga. And then proceeds to talk for another 15 minutes about La Liga and has the lamest 30 minutes of saying nothing. It's still on their YouTube channel. You can still go on FC Cincinnati's YouTube channel and watch this awkward press conference. But even then, like as soon as they said it was Valencia and La Liga, nobody around town gave a shit at that point. But there was no buzz. There was no interest. They, I think they were doing buy one, get one tickets by the end of it just to try and get them off people's hands. It's No, no one cares about this shit. So I personally... Am interested. However, I think that we've had enough here, right? Like, Ooh. like there have been too many U.S. national team games here. Um, oh, jeez. We don't gets want. It all, huh? We uh, don't. Cincinnati gets too much. We don't need a Premier League team here. Get your mangoes. We don't back need out again. a La Liga team here. <laughs> we don't need an NWSL team here. The point of of having soccer is Ooh, to grow the game. That's spicy. Is to grow the game in the country. Right? It's for other people. It's not for us. It's not for our enjoyment. 
so you know, don't get don't give us anything. I mean, we already have an MLS team. Why would we want anything else? You know, give so Mexico saying, right. back to Columbus. So you want the Kentucky Cup? This needs to be played in Louisville and Lexington, and let let the the lessers yeah. experience the joy of. Yeah. Something no, it should more. be the it should be the Nebraska Cup. Play it in uh, yes. Omaha and Lincoln. The Cornhusker Cup. Yeah. I will say, actually, I know we were being facetious, but if I you were, need to point that out because team, some people will not figure that out. No, they're going to get whooshed directly <laughs> by that. But but if I was in charge of marketing an EPL team, and I wasn't necessarily doing this to make money, but to grow my fan base. I would absolutely be playing USL teams. Because, yes, if you actually played the new Lexington team as, I don't know, Wolverhampton, you could turn Lexington, Kentucky into the Wolverhampton city. And, like, that would be your in. And I know it's not sexy, but if you could claim, like, an entire mid-sized American city as, like, being behind your team, like, that would be cool. And then, yeah, have, like, Newcastle play Louisville, and then the winner plays in Lexington again or whatever. I don't know, whatever you want to do. That makes more sense to me. But this also makes me think that MLS teams in January should play friendlies in Europe in the middle of their season. And I think you should absolutely have Seattle versus San Jose at Old Trafford in the middle of their busy December season. I think there's I think there's something there. <laughs> so why do we think this got canceled? Like it's got to be It's got to be the Who concert. It's got to be Burning. Yeah, it's got to be the Who concert. Yeah. <laughs> It's got to be Jeff. Like, Jeff, you know, did, he was annoying, and they thought he was weird. I'm guessing MLS wanted, I, to, to be real, I'm guessing MLS wanted a too large of a cut of ticket sales, and they were projecting too few tickets to have made that financially worthwhile of putting on a, a sham tournament. And I think that's what killed this. I think it was probably that they that somebody looked in the mirror and, and they thought to themselves, who the fuck in Cincinnati is going to pay to watch Wolverhampton versus Newcastle? Like, unless they're planning on importing the entire Saudi royal family over here to watch and buy all the tickets up, they're not going to, this is not going to draw money. So, <gasps> no, guys, this was our chance to get the Saudi royal family in front of the Cincinnati Reds and they buy the Reds and we. We go from being the poorest team in MLB to being the wealthiest team in MLB, and I mean, oh, I'll no. sell my my baseball soul out to oh, the. No. <laughs> oh no! We, we fucked this up, guys. Oh, God. This is our chance. God, why did the Who do this? This was our chance. Pete Townsend. This is really the worst thing the Who Shit. has ever done to Cincinnati. We could have solved so many problems. It's with certainly blood the money. worst thing Pete Townsend's ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Man, oh, Pete, no. Pete, Pete Townsend, you know, uh, abusing <laughs> things in their infancy. <laughs> oh, no. oh no! Oh, I I can't believe. Uh, I mean, yeah, the poor FC Cincinnati field. I don't think got fully rooted. It was far too young, and they built that stage right on top of it. And right. uh, oh boy, just crushed it. When you, when you throw your beer can now, it won't be on the original turf. It'll be on replacement turf, and that's just sad. <laughs> it was my favorite turf. Um, so so Grayson, I want to I want to get deep inside the take here. So Grant Wall said we're on the final shortlist for NWSL expansion. Is it your take right here on the postcast that we should deny 
having a women's team. I, I find that to be a misogynistic take, but I'm just going to hear what you have to say about it. Ooh. As to we should spread the wealth and let some other team support women's athletics, and we should do not. We should stop. We should not support women's athletics in Cincinnati. Well, what we should do is we should support women's athletics, but we should let somebody else have it, right? Because that's that's the right that's the oh. right thing to do. We should we should let Columbus have the team, um, and then we should all be season ticket holders of that team. Uh, not go to the games because you have to spend <laughs> gas, and that's bad for the environment to spend the gas yes, to go to the game. True, true. But give them the money for sure. <laughs> That is um, the worst imaginable way. No, you know what you could do? You could have Meg Whitman start an NWSL team in Sacramento. That's that's the ultimate make good. They get their professional team. Meg makes up for pulling out of their MLS bid and causing them to crash and burn. I mean, I am I the am I the only, so am I the only one here that wants an NWSL team here? No, of course no. I want a WNWSL team. <laughs> no. I want us to have. Everything. I want no. us to have all of Newcastle's games. Move, move Wolverhampton to the West End. I want all the national team games, all the women's national team games, all the Premier League team games, all the NWSL games. I want all of it. I want the World Cup right. here. <laughs> they are called the Wanderers. Right. Because it's not, it would, it's it not for up. me about growing the game. It's about putting it all in Cincinnati, which is where I live. <laughs> <laughs> Save some takes for the rest of us. Christ. <laughs> the hot take would be, yes, a women's team, no to the NWSL, and yes to the USL Women's League. The Super and League? Try to, <laughs> yes. And you try to you convince Louisville to go to the USL Super League and the Courage to go to the Super League, and you try to... Bring in, bring in Rose Lavelle, Aubrey Bledsoe. Yeah. See, and see. I think the reason compete. why we're, not, I think the reason why we're not going to get a team is I was, I was thinking about this, and like every one of these NWSL bids and expansion teams now has to have at least one celebrity owner, and I can't figure out who the celebrity owner in Cincinnati would be. Like Carmen Electra, like who's famous <laughs> from, who's a famous woman from Cincinnati that Sarah Jessica Parker land around. Ooh, there we go. Sarah Sex in the Jessica FC. Parker could work. Yeah. <laughs> George and Amal Clooney. The Cincinnati, oh. the Cincinnati human rights attorneys. Cincinnati Eleven. The Cincinnati Nuremberg Conventions. <laughs> Wait a second. Wait what? It taps into our German heritage, though. Oh I like God! It. Oh no! Oh, there's a lot of family members on the West Side that. No, we're not. <laughs> they gotta give a team. They gotta give a team to Toronto, though, right? Because isn't that the most American thing when it comes to soccer? Is that we put one of our teams in Canada and forever stop them from starting their own league? Yes, yes. Um, no, I'm in favor of kicking out the Canadian MLS teams. I just want to get that on. Nah, the man, thirty-four, forty, your fight. Let's go. <laughs> we can't do that. That's like forty percent of our win total this year. We can't get rid of them. <laughs> That's a good point. Actually, <laughs> invite more of the CPL yes. into MLS, yeah, can we, please. Can we get a team in Winnipeg too? <laughs> Fuck, let's do this. Let's do it all night. Let's keep this going. I want to play Atletico uh, Ottawa or whatever they've got up there. The Manitoba uh, Maulers—they got to play in some league, right? Uh, gentlemen, I think we've tapped out this episode. I don't know if you guys have anything else for me. I don't think we're going to be able to touch on the. Uh, 
the two team international signings this time around. Damn it! But, um, shit. <laughs> I know Grayson had Grayson had notes. Wait, I'm wait! Gonna, I have like, one. Let me let me let me say one of my notes. All right, Musa Musa Ramahan uh, plays plays for Viskov, which is owned by Rainbow Sports Group.